Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. This is Alex Israel. Today, Yehoshua chapter 11. And with that music of Zemer HaPlugot, a very famous Israeli military song, we um, are going to study today our final military chapter, uh, the Northern Campaign, the Northern War, which begins once again with Shmu'ah. Yavin Melech Chatzor, who is the ringleader of the North, Chatzor we'll talk about in a minute, and he sends for Yovav, the king of Madon, and Melech Shimron and Melech Achshaf and all of the kings in the Tzafon and the Har and the Arava and the Negev and the Kirvot and the Shefela Do you get the sense that the text is trying to tell us that this is a enormous colossal coalition of people who come together they come like the sand on the seashore with Rechev Rav Ma'od, now they are, they have chariots, and they all get together at a place called Meimarom, the high waters. Where where are these high waters? Is Are we talking about the Chula Valley? Are we talking about the Jezreel Valley? Uh, with all of these horses and these troops, they need water. But where exactly is it is unclear. But now we read Pasuk Vav, Vayom HaShem El Yoshua, Alti Rabit Mehem. God says, do not be intimidated by them. Don't fear them. Tomorrow, they are all going to be dead before Israel. And indeed, Joshua goes with all of the people of the war, or all of the fighting people, to Meimaron, Pitom. They attack them unexpected. And they attack them. Of course, they are all mobilized. They're not expecting. Uh, B'nai Israel are in their camp in Gilgal. Uh, these these armies are expecting to march or, or really to ride down the Jordan Valley and attack the Israelites and have them hemmed in by the Dead Sea on the south and the hills on the sides. However, Israel have intelligence information from God, so to speak, and uh, we have here a preemptive strike and and they smite them, they pursue them, even till Sidon, all the way up north, an incredible, incredible victory. So let's make three points about this uh, operation, this war. Number one, it is absolutely natural. There is nothing miraculous about it. The only assistance God gives is with a little bit of intelligence information and confidence building. And here we have a progression. If Jericho was incredibly miraculous, then we have the eye where God devised the basic strategy of the war. Then we had the story of the South, where we have the sun standing still and a, a, a sudden storm, which gives uh, which gives the military advantage. Here, we've gone to a completely natural situation. Joshua is the leader, and Joshua has been victorious. And this completes the pattern of... Um, from Ness to Teva, from miraculous to natural. We're moving out of the wilderness years, which were governed by miracles, and now we're going into Eretz Israel with its nature. Now we have to remember, we're only hearing about four campaigns, Jericho, 
I, the south and the north. But the end of our chapter tells us that Yamim Rabim, verse 18, Yamim Rabim Asa Yoshuet Kol Hamalachim Ha'ilamulchama, that the wars took many, many years. In this case, the word Yamim probably means years. There are many places where the word Yamim means years. And the fact that only four campaigns are described here um, really uh, indicates that there's a deliberate process being put into play. More about that in a minute. Number two, uh, there's a special mention here in verse 10. Joshua captured Chatzor, and he's, and it talks about how they vet Chatzor Saraf Ba'esh. They burnt Chatzor. And the amazing thing is that Chatzor up in the north, it's in the Chula Valley, a little north of Rosh Pina, has actually been excavated. It was excavated by none other than the famous Yigal Yadin. And there is a layer of burning, a layer of, of which is very clearly burnt, which is exactly from the period of the conquest. But not only that, they found something really remarkable in, in Yadin's expedition in 1958, which is that there are they have the largest number of statues ever found at one site. Gods, different gods, Egyptian gods and all of that. But none of them are intact. In fact, they bear chisel marks indicating that somebody deliberately chopped off the arms of the statues and even their heads. And uh, the question is, who would have done a thing like this? Well, this is a fulfillment of the words of the Torah, where the Torah tells us very explicitly in Sefer Shemot that you're meant to, when you go into the land, you're meant to, uh, or, or we find this also in Devarim, Perik Yudbet, that you're meant to tear down their altars and you're meant to desecrate their statues. And Shaber to Shaber Matsevotehem, Shemot chapter 23, verse 24. So what do you know? Here we see evidence that the people kept the laws of the Torah. Final detail here that is important to mention is that God commanded the Israelites at Susehem Ta'aker that Markovotehem Tisraf Ba'esh. You should hamstring the horses so they can't be used for war, and you should burn the chariots. Now, this is absurd. Chariots, horses and chariots are the tanks of the ancient world. If Israel captured these this military hardware, this would basically be an incredible asset. It's basically taking a whole, you know, army of, of, of tanks or military hardware and just simply getting rid of it. Why would you do that? And when you look at the Ralbag, you look at other commentaries, they all talk about the idea that Israel should not rely. That ultimately they should see their strength and their victory coming from God and not from their own might. And this brings us to our final point for this chapter for today. When you read chapter 10 and you read chapter 11, they are strikingly similar in structure. They both begin with a shmu'ah, that the nations hear something. Then it talks about how a coalition, and it begins with the word Vayishlach, in the case of chapter 10, Vayishlach Adoni Tzedek, here Vayishlach, and there's a building of coalition. And then you have the nations gathering together. Then God tells Joshua, Altira, in both cases, 
because I'm delivering them in your hands. Suddenly, Yehoshua, Yehoshua comes and surprises the enemy. In both cases, the word used is piton, vayakum, right? The same words, vayir fame. And he burns the cities, kills the kings. And this all seems to happen in rapid speed. In chapter 10, uh, in one day, in one moment, in, in, in one event, and in our chapter as well, machar, machar, this is all happening very, very quickly. And there seems almost a deliberate aim to write these stories as if these are happening, uh, even this no, notion of, uh, you know, this very, very deep engagement with God, guiding the Israelite army and giving them victory. This is emphasized, and we're going to dedicate our shiur tomorrow to talking about the structure of the book of Joshua and the prophetic message of Joshua. Because, of course, the question is, isn't this just a history book? We're just being told a list of different wars. Where's the spirituality in this story? And tomorrow we're going to dedicate our class because uh, to, to the end of chapter 11 and to chapter 12, which is a shira. And we're going to talk about the prophetic message and the structure of the book of Joshua. So see you then. And that's when we're really going to dig into the core of understanding what this book is about. Lehitraot. <laughs> Ali, 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 Ali.